Um, I don't know how you are, but um, for me, I'm pretty rubbish at waiting. I'm I sort of, when I'm moving, I want to be moving all the time. You should see me on my bike if I have to stop at a pedestrian crossing. I mean, that's a disaster, especially at Morningside High Street when it's on a hill. So if you do see me go for a red light, you'll know the reason. But, um, you know, I'm one of these people when the internet's going too slow, I, I really do lose my will to live. It's terrible. And, you know, the bar's just going so slowly in front. When, at traffic lights last night, this, the, the traffic light turned green and the person in front was just stationary. That needed a horn to get them moving. It's terrible. <laughs> I don't know what you're like in queues in supermarkets. I think most of us try and manage those queues uh, quite well. But why is it that I always choose the queue where the, the, the cashier has to phone up for somebody to find out what the price of the economy baked beans are going to be? And it takes them about five hours. To, I hate waiting. I completely detest it. The one thing which really frustrates me is when you go to somebody's house and you've got a microwave meal and uh, they've got a lower-powered microwave than you. <laughs> and it's going to take 30 seconds longer to cook your curry. That, that to me, is, is not where it's at. We, we're lucky we've got this really fast microwave at home. It really aids, it really aids us as we eat. Um, but, you see, I recognise in my trade that is a bit of a problem because one of the things I think which marks out a good rector, top-quality rector, shall we say, from just an average rector is, they are really good at waiting. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been in this lovely environment where you've had to pray with somebody? You might have wanted to just get something off your chest and you wanted to pray about it with somebody. It's a great thing to do. If you've got something on your chest, pray about it. Anyway, that's nothing to do with the sermon. Um, but you go, and you go and pray. And now if people, obviously people come and speak to me and say, can, can you pray for me? And I love it. That's great. Please, please do come and say that. It's good. And I'll listen to you and think, great. And I'll just jump in straight away and say a prayer. And it'll be a nice prayer. And it'll make you feel good about yourself. It'll be a quality prayer. It'll be OK. But, but there's something about other kinds of people when you go and see them and pray, really sort of the godly rectors, and you share what's gone on in your life, and they'll, they'll say, right, it's time to pray, and you think, great, and you go, I'll pray for you, that's great, so you sit there, and it's complete silence, have you ever been there, it's just complete silence, and then it, that silence seems to go on sort of a bit longer, and you think, did I hear right, am I meant to be the one who's praying here, are they, are they going to pray, and you're just sort of worried about that, so you're trying to be godly, and you're sitting there like that, saying, come Lord Jesus, and all this type of stuff, and, and it's still silent, and you think, are they re one of those really super spiritual kind of uh, rectors who are just silent and they don't pray prayers out loud because you don't need to use language, you just lift your heart to the God. And I was thinking, fine, I'll, I'll just enter into that zone. And you sort of, you get ready and you start enjoying the silence. Then all of a sudden, the prayer comes and it's the best prayer you've ever had because they stopped and they've waited and they've listened to God and then they've gone into this prayer and it speaks deeply into the situation and it helps you move forward. Waiting is a really interesting thing. I'm rubbish at it, but it's part of the package. One of the things I've discovered is that waiting might be hard, but the discovery of it in your life will somehow draw you close to God. It allows you, I think, when you wait for God, it allows you to discover his heartbeat. It's a, it releases, you're saying, I'm going to release control to you. I'm not instantly going to try and sort it. I'm going to release it to you. And most of all, I think it gets you into the space where God can profoundly move in your life. 
Waiting is something which says to God, I give you permission. Waiting gives God that space to work. And actually, waiting is the name of the game in this reading. That's what's going on. There's waiting at, right at the beginning. They are waiting in verse 1. And the key thing is that uh, if they weren't waiting, if they weren't all together in that room waiting around for the, this promise of Jesus, there would be no day of Pentecost. You know, if I was back then, I would be saying, oh, come on, he's forgotten about us. Let's just dash off and do the work. But there'd be no day of Pentecost. There'd be no Holy Spirit. To get to this radical day of Pentecost we got this morning, it involved waiting. It wasn't a moment which just happened. This was a moment which patiently evolved, and faithful waiting is what made it happen. The signs were there. The signs had been there right across history. Promises had been mentioned right across history. Scriptures in the Old Testament said something was going to come. Jesus spoke about it in private to his disciples. There was a feeling in the air that something was going to happen. It still, though, had to be waited for. It was like an endless Christmas Eve. Can you imagine that? It's quite good now, I'm old, because it gives you time to prepare stuff. But when you're a kid, just imagine an endless Christmas Eve. The best and yet most frustrating day of the year. One of the last things Jesus said to his friends before he went up into heaven was, wait, Acts chapter 1 verse 4 says, wait for the gift my father has promised. And so the 120 followers, that's how many there were in Acts 1 verse 15, waited, and they waited in Jerusalem, and they were waiting together for what Jesus promised in Acts chapter 1 verse 5. They were waiting to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. Jesus was moving the game on. The promise was on order, but it still had to be delivered. There was no Amazon Prime on this. The delivery took 240 hours, um, and it took 240-hour prayer meeting to get it going. And then it changed. The new age was born. It's called the age of the Holy Spirit. It's the age of the church. Our age, where we are now, began back then. So Acts chapter 2 then is momentous. Millennia of planning and waiting leads to this explosion of power and joy. This is the promise fulfilled. It didn't just happen. It's not a chaotic event. It's at the heart of God and it's our heritage. Simply put, no Acts 2, no church, no P's and G's and we're not worshipping here today. God is revealed in all his fullness as a God who is for absolutely everyone. The Holy Spirit was in the house. The Trinitarian God made himself known. Acts chapter 2 completed the picture of God. So all of you, all of us who are waiting out there, all of you who are looking and longing for something, all of you who are looking for that change, this is exactly the place of God's people. God is right there in the waiting. His promise is in the air. Don't try and force him to make it happen. Just enter into that conversational space, which is your relationship with God, and pray it through. Then listen to the promise and see what happens. And rem remember, like these uh, first followers of Jesus, not to do the waiting on your own, but let's wait together. Wait in our equivalent of the upper room, which is the local church, with 
your fellow believers. And so it came in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit, wind and flame, the breath and the power of God, the ruach and the holiness of God, the fullness of God inhabiting that room, which was full of normal, everyday men and women and transforming them. God making his promises real. The baptism which Jesus promised and which John the Baptist prophesied was in the room. It was profound. It was beautiful. It was physical and it was personal. It involved all the senses. It was intellectual as well as emotional. The completeness of God was in the room and it was given to them. It surrounded them and it went into them. God inwardly entered their lives and entered their hearts. It was encouraging. It was joyful, so joyful, in fact, that they looked drunk on the experience. It was significant. It empowered them. It envisioned them. It was powerful. It was the starter fuel for for their future lives and for their future ministries. Jesus might not be there physically anymore, but everything of who he was absolutely filled him. And that's what happens. Everything changes after an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Everything of God becomes part of our lives. His power, his love, his forgiveness, his joy, his mission. Then, in an instant, our worship of him becomes more vibrant, more real, more necessary. The Holy Spirit of Acts chapter 2 completely changes everything. And those changes ring out today. They're still part of the experience. They're still part of our story. Our Holy story, Spirit stories might uh, be a bit different from these Acts chapter 2 verses, but the power and the vibrancy and the splendor of God still will shine through them. If you've had a meeting with the Holy Spirit and you've got a story about it, it will be incredible. I'm going to just interview uh, Doug Russell now. He's a member of our congregation. He's been making the guitar shapes on stage this morning. I'm very fine that they were. Number two, if that's okay, uh, Paul. And now you're a normal kind of person, quite brilliant in my yes, eyes. Yes, I think so. You're an em- everyday member of our uh, congregation. Yep. And uh, I just want to see how Pentecost, what we're talking about today, and how baptism in the Holy Spirit impacts on your life still today. So, Doug, if you could just tell the congregation, just say why the Holy Spirit is so important to you. I think the Holy Spirit is really important because I find that he is, as a pastor said to me years ago, God in receivable form. He is, um, he makes God knowable, and, uh, and that means the relationship can be started in a sense by that connection. I think without the Holy Spirit, I would have a really good ethical system. I'd be trying to be a good Christian, but I think I would really struggle and probably wouldn't be able to continue with it long term. So the Holy Spirit is the life force that makes it all come alive. Great. So, so this is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this passage. Would you say you've had an experience like uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes. Uh, when I was down in a, a church in southern England, way down south in Cheam, um, some people prayed for me. I'd been away from the Lord for a few years and I'd come back and uh, I was really keen to go deeper and uh, it was something which I really wanted more of. And so some people prayed for me, and uh, I felt that a deep, deep peace from the Lord. And it just, the connection was really tremendous. 
And I just felt as if suddenly it came alive. Suddenly it made sense. Suddenly what I was reading about actually came alive for me. And I remember the next day, uh, on the Monday, I went off to work, and uh, I just felt this amazing kind of joy inside. And uh, I sat down at my desk, and I just couldn't stop smiling. Uh, all, all morning, and uh, so much so that um, it went on into the afternoon, and uh, my boss finally said to me about three o'clock in the afternoon, he said, what is it with you? Why are you smiling? You've just been smiling all day long. And my cheeks were aching from it. I couldn't actually <laughs> stop smiling. I finally had to go to the loo to just kind of, I thought, well, if I'm going to start laughing and then I'll be really uncontrollable. So I thought, I'll just, and I thought if it goes on like this, you know, I'll be struggling by Friday. But fortunately, uh, the Lord is gracious and it was uh, just one of those special days. And <laughs> things went back to more normality after that. Great. So, so you met with God in that deeper way and you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Have, ha, ha, what difference does it make? Has the Holy Spirit guided you in, in any, any ways which are a little bit different to, uh, to normal? Does it make it, or is it just you just live your life fairly normally? Oh well, yeah, I'm really, I've, I had one experience a few years ago. We were in a, a church before this one and, uh, and I had to go along, to, well, I was going along to home group and I had to stop off en route and get myself uh, a loaf of bread and we were short of bread, so I called into Tesco's, and I was walking along the aisles towards the bread, and uh, I was thinking, I've got to get bread, and then I've got to get some milk, and then I've got to get to home group, and uh, hopefully I should be on time, and all the usual stuff was in my head. And uh, I was walking along the aisle, and then suddenly, just it was straight out of stage left, this sort of voice came into my head that just said, and the home group leaders at the time were called David and Janice, and this voice came into my head that said, buy Janice a cake. And I thought, really? <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, because um, I thought, well, it can't be me, because it just, I wouldn't really think that at all. So I thought, well, all right, what I'll do is I, I'll buy Janice a donut, because, you know, that's a, a sort of little modest cake, and uh, I wouldn't like to shock her with anything bigger. So I was heading towards the donut stall when God said, no, buy her a big cake. <laughs> and then I think he may have said, and make sure it's chocolate. So I turned around and wandered down the aisle to the, where the big cakes were, and I bought this really big cake, chocolate cake, and then I walked off with my loaf of bread to the till, paid for it, and got in the car and drove to home group. When I got to home group, uh, rang the doorbell. Janice opened the door, and I said, here's a present for you. <laughs> and I gave her this enormous cake, and she just looked stunned. And there's a sort of pause for a minute, and then she said to me, how did you know that today is my birthday? And I was just flabbergasted. And I thought, wow, you know, that just shows that God really is interested in the little details of our lives. He's interested in the small things. He wasn't prepared for Janice to get a donut. He wanted her to have a big cake, really big cake. And, uh, and so she did. So it was really, really brilliant. Fantastic. Now, just bring it back down to everyday uh, kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I love it when God does that, but we've also got a journey every day and ups and downs of life. You've had a really interesting last few years where you've had to wait around a bit. How have you found God and the Holy Spirit helping you in the last uh, few years? Yes, so I do design and drawings for building services, which is air conditioning, heating, all that sort of stuff for buildings and uh, making them comfortable. So when the recession arrived, I went from being really, really busy to being really, really quiet and uh, work became very patchy indeed. And that continued much longer than I'd ever experienced it. I was expecting perhaps six months at the most, maybe a year, and it went on and on and on for years. And uh, so consequently, I had to really start thinking, 
what's, where's my focus here? Because I realized if I focused on all the what ifs, then I would really start to go downhill. And I thought I'm going to focus on the Lord and I'm resolutely going to trust in him. And I'm going to endeavor to um, prep. I was uh, being invited to give some talks with um, Richmond and Oak Hall Christian Holidays. So I prepped up talks, uh, prayed a lot, um, did a lot of cycling, and uh, just endeavored to stay close to the Lord. And now and again, my focus would come off the Lord. I'd go and have to make a load of phone calls, and uh, I'd get lots of no's, sorry, we haven't got any space, and all the usuals. And uh, then I would think, oh dear, you know, here we go again. And then it would be, my morale would go down again. And the Lord just kept on reminding me that uh, he was in control, and I just had to trust in him, and it would work out. And he provided small things through the recession, um, bits of work that just came at the right time. And uh, around about two months ago, he provided a really good contract. And so now it's all clicking together well. That's great. Thank you so much. Just, just there'll be some people in here, like, it was like me before I, I experienced the Holy Spirit, who'd be a bit reticent about sort of living in the power of the Holy Spirit. How would you encourage them? Well, I would say, I just see it as... Um, because I don't see it in anything, you know, I'm not a major sort of personality type Christian. So I just see it in terms of relationship. I see it as a, a deepening of the relationship with God, um, God in receivable form, a chance for us to connect with him at a deeper level, a chance for us to discover more of his love. The Bible says that God is love, and uh, I'm really just really encouraged by the prospect of knowing that love in a deeper way in my own life. So I would say, um, as Rich said at the beginning, um, you want to be sort of going for the Prosecco, the sparkling wine, rather than saying, well, I'll just settle for, you know, Prosecco without the sparkle. I'm going for champagne, mate. But anyway, <laughs> um, can we give Doug a huge round of applause, say thank you so much for uh, sharing. Really love that. The Holy Spirit can be this everyday reality in your life and Doug was transformed by the Holy Spirit had that wonderful experience but now it becomes every day and the Holy Spirit journeys with you as you grow that relationship and that's exactly what was happening here in this Acts chapter 2 passage the Holy Spirit was becoming part of the everyday uh, lives of the disciples but right at the beginning it transformed them the Holy Spirit transformed them the infilling of God the third person of the Trinity empowered them completely and released them something extraordinarily deep happened in those people's hearts now the thing is we don't really know what God did in those people's hearts in those moments when the flames were on their heads and the wind was flying around uh, the room but I imagine for some of them they would have found profound healing maybe freedom which they'd never had before. For others, things like a depression might have lifted. For others, they were just simply lifted from the humdrum of life and were able then to suddenly bring beauty into that humdrum life. For others, God, complete, God's complete acceptance and forgiveness might have become the reality and understood finally in their hearts. For others, it might have been just this sort of insatiable desire to talk about God. It just hit them. And for others, uh, the simple joy of knowing Jesus became greater. We don't know exactly what the Holy Spirit did and how he worked in our hearts, but we do know it was extremely powerful and profound. 
they were internally dealt with in, inc- in an incredible way by God. And the thing is, though, they had all this internal stuff going on inside them, but it didn't just stay in that room at all. For a start, it couldn't, uh, because it was such a huge event going on in that room, there was some really physical stuff happening in that room, that actually people in the vicinity in Jerusalem recognised something absolutely huge was going on. Just look at verses 5 and 6. They sort of ran towards the building because of all of this sort of scene which was happening. It's like an A-list celebrity being in town and then all of a sudden there's a huge mob surrounds them. That's exactly what was happening here. The crowds are building and growing outside where they were. The wind uh, uh, got them and drew them in. This event wasn't just for the open room, it was to be lived out in the open, to, in the upper room, sorry, it was to be lived out in the open too. The other thing is, the 120 people in that room were given this amazing gift of speaking in other tongues. Now, this isn't the, the tongues you find in uh, 1 Corinthians, sort of that worship and praise language. No, it's more than that. They were all of a sudden able to speak in a human language which wasn't their own. And that was completely brilliant because all around them were a load of foreigners who were wondering what on earth was going on. So all of a sudden they had the power to tell these foreigners what was going on. Just see verses 7 to 11 and note in particular my favourite people, the Cretans. Anyway, it's as if this amazing internal event became forced external. There was no, no hiding from it. This wasn't just a wonderful experience for the chosen few believers, but it was for everyone. There was a huge personal blessing. There was a huge community blessing for the 120 in that uh, uh, room. But that blessing, as it were, was sort of forced. It had to go out beyond the four walls. It was noisy, and God was ready uh, for it to go out. Nothing could contain it, a bit like Doug, he couldn't contain the smiles, nothing can contain it when it happens. God blesses individuals so they can be a blessing to others. What goes in must come out. Being filled with the Holy Spirit leads to the disciples quite simply pointing others to Jesus. And I think that's a pattern there. God doing a brilliant and profound work in our lives will quite naturally have an external movement. It will point outwards. It doesn't become about chasing the experience, but it becomes power to do the work which God needs us to do. If God's got a job to do, he simply fills somebody with the Holy Spirit. It's as if the wonderful experience of being baptised in the Holy Spirit leads to the fullest expression possible in mission and evangelism. The Holy Spirit, to me, seems to have a simple job of just pointing people towards Jesus. So intense worship events, which, if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll know about these intense worship about events, which are all about me being blessed or my church being blessed so we can feel good, are completely The Holy Spirit is not about me feeling good. That's a wonderful byproduct, as we've we've heard from Doug, that uh, the joy of being filled with the Holy Spirit is great. But that is not what it's all about. It must lead to an outward expression, to the wonderful work which God does in people's hearts. 
A bit like Doug, when I was filled uh, with the Holy Spirit, the byproduct was I couldn't stop actually talking about Jesus. It became a right old pain in the neck. Actually, the first three people I did tell about Jesus became Christians. But then I couldn't shut up. It was just like, and you saw people move away. I walked into the room, the room emptied. It was terrible. Thankfully, I got a mentor and he told me to calm down, which was the most useful piece of advice I've ever had. Otherwise, I'd just be still in a room somewhere trying to tell, I don't know what it is about. It wouldn't be somebody. It'd be the telly or something, tell them about Jesus. But anyway... So that, that's what happened to me when I was filled. It moved out. For years, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I've been a critic of um, a movement of the Holy Spirit in the 90s, which was known as the Toronto Movement. So I know some of you here weren't born then, but if you were born back then, it was a big thing if you were around uh, Christian circles. And I went to go to these Toronto meetings. I don't know if any of you have been to Toronto meetings, but they went on for a few years. And... Uh, I must say they were always quite interesting and unusual. People always seemed to be filled with the Holy Spirit in what seemed powerful ways. There was laughing and crying and falling over going on. And many people um, seemed to get on this sort of Toronto bandwagon. And there was like, it sort of seemed to go around the place. And, oh, that church has got the Toronto blessing. Let's drive and get a bit of the Toronto blessing from that church. And people, literally, they bought camper vans and they followed the Toronto blessing around the place. I, I am exaggerating a little bit. It was, it's pretty close to it. And I must admit, I always thought, lovely, but so what? What on earth is the point of that? Because people uh, would tell me that uh, people who were falling over in this spirit uh, had incredible experiences, I, 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 and I believe that to be true. Some people said it was like six months' worth of counselling half an hour on the floor, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought, well, that's, that's not bad, is it, if that, if that happens? But I must admit, I, I was a bit cynical about it, because I couldn't really see any fruit. It just seemed to be about chasing an experience, having a Pentecostal kind of experience. And it sort of left me sort of with a sour taste in my mouth. I thought, it's fine, but it must be more than that. And that was actually until very recently when I was just finding out about the Alpha Course history. And do you know something? That really started to grow and develop during the time of Toronto. The church where Alpha grew out of, which is HTB in London, had sort of these Toronto kind of meetings uh, and as well. And they were greatly blessed by it all and other movements like it at the time. But all of a sudden, the penny dropped for me. I thought, that is the fruit of Toronto. It's alpha going on everywhere. So for me, that means that one of the best and most effective evangelism tools which we have today is born out of that Pentecostal kind of movement. And I've learned a lesson about being too judgmental. If I'm being judgmental, just thump me and say you're being judgmental. So more for me for being cynical. Toronto did have that edge to it. And people who were being baptised in the Holy Spirit because of Toronto were actually released into mission and evangelism, quite like this in Acts chapter 2. And literally, Alpha has led millions of people to Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. So even though there's a warning attached to chasing good feelings, which Toronto sort of style movements can bring, if these movements relieve, release amazing works of God too, then that's really interesting. I would argue life-changing and significant movements of the Holy Spirit, both individually and as a church, 
will lead us to being much more confident in our faith and therefore lead us to being much more natural about sharing Jesus and what our faith means to us. And that's what's going on here in Acts chapter 2. This fantastic event forces the gospel outwards. The disciples are given an incredible ability to speak about Jesus in lots of different languages, and they do. And in verse 12 it says, it was amazing and perplexing. There's no better summary to the gospel because it is amazing and perplexing. Two words which you would use to sum up Jesus' ministry is, it was amazing and perplexing. So the disciples were in the zone which Jesus inhabits um, and that is so important. They were finally equipped to do the work of Jesus. So much so that the glorious fruit of their first day of ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit was that the church grew from 120 people to 3,000 people. So lots of people were amazed, so much so, as Dave said, within a few years, it was the hugest thing going on, Christianity. But still, there were lots of people perplexed. This is a real story going on here. So there we have it. But so what? That's lovely uh, for back then, but what about now? Need to remind you, we are living in the same age as back then. We're 2,000 years on, but it's the age of the same spirit. The same spirit is here with us this morning. It hasn't vanished. God's not left us. The comforter, as the Bible goes on to uh, call the Holy Spirit, the helper, the encourager, the enabler, is still in this room bringing wonderful transformation and change. And equally, the same Holy Spirit is inspiring us to get involved in the work of God. He's still filling us and baptizing us and pouring into us so we can simply point people to Jesus. And I dare say he's doing that work right now, invisibly, perhaps physically for some of us, certainly profoundly. God hasn't given up on us. That's what Pentecost is all about. It's only just begun. And it needs to just begin again in our nation, in our town, in our homes, wherever we find ourselves. We need once again to discover this joy of the Holy Spirit, which releases us outwards. And our neighbours and the people of the city need us to do that. And they need the joy which that will bring to their lives.